Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Jake Cunningham and this week I am joined by Diego Aparicio from the UCL Film Society. Hello. Hello, Diego. And our regular contributor, Rena Musumeci. Good morning. Our very own fantastic woman to talk about <laughs> Sebastian Lelio's A Fantastic Woman, which this is... has to stop. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we redo it? <laughs> I thought that was good. Oh, he can't resist. The I puns. can't just guffaw. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Berlin Film Festival happening at the moment uh, across the continent, and it would have been a year ago that Sebastian Elio's A Fantastic Woman premiered, uh, and it began this journey that has led it to an Oscar nomination. And this is a really wonderful film that we're really excited to bring to the UK. And Arena, I wonder if you could just tell us a bit about this film. Um, so very quickly, the film A Fantastic Woman is about a truly fantastic woman. Um, the titular character is Marina, who is uh, a part-time waitress and part-time singer. And um, she is in a very happy relationship with her partner, Orlando. Orlando dies at the very beginning of the film and Marina is left alone to face prejudice. Um, Marina is a trans woman. And uh, the film is very much not a transition story, but it's very much about the aftermath of what happens in her life once her partner dies. It's a really beautiful film. Uh, It's really stunningly shot and it kind of uh, weaves between genres in a quite magical way. And we're really excited to actually bring you an interview with the director, Sebastian Lelio, that Sam has done. Uh, So we will be bringing that to you uh, a bit later on in the show. Uh, But for now, let's just get our initial impressions, because I saw this film a long time ago ago in the film world, I suppose. (laughs) And it it was, what, five months ago at the London London Film Festival. Diego, you and I, um, we found out this morning we were at the same screening (laughs) uh, that had a a post-film conversation with the film's writer. Uh, And I think both of you have been lucky enough to watch the film again, something I haven't been able to do yet. And I wonder if you could both just tell us about how you initially reacted to this film, what your first thoughts were. Yeah, so I think the first time I went in to see the film, I didn't really know what to expect. I hadn't seen Lelio's um, previous work, so I was, you know, not sure what the feeling would be like. I just knew that it was about a transgender woman. And it's interesting because the the vibe the film kind of gives off isn't really about you know this woman being transgender but it's about her dealing with grief and 
her her loss her her lover dies at the very beginning as Irena said and I think the second time I was more able to sort of focus on the visuals more mm. um I took in the music a lot more the second time yeah, yeah. I often find that like, your, your second viewing is like your craft viewing that you're able to view it as a piece of filmmaking and the first time you're viewing it as a piece of storytelling yeah absolutely and I think was it Hitchcock who said um the first time you really watch a film is actually the second time mm. you watch a film maybe I've been misinformed <laughs> there's something about being able to kind of relax with it and knowing that you know where the the journey is going to go and you're free to appreciate it a lot more i suppose i tend to watch films in a slightly different way because i have a lot of films under my belt by now so to me it's that complete package that always hits me the first time around and sometimes i miss kind of plot details mm. and i really get mm. absorbed into the the mise-en-scene in particular i'm very susceptible to and in this film there's just such a wonderful there are so many echoes of so many different filmmakers that mm. i absolutely adore and so it was it was this that kind of impressed me the first time around the second time around it was the construction of all the different parts that really amazed me uh because it's a film that really takes you on this emotional journey much as every trailer in the world mm. would like to surmise that every film does <laughs> but with this one you're really with this character for such a long time uh you know over the the 90 minutes of the film which is a very kind of economical time to to tell a story she truly goes places and um i found that absolutely extraordinary i watched her acting a lot more in the second in the second viewing absolutely. and i thought this it was just a, such a fantastic mm. performance there is so much happening in her face and the way she uses her eyes and her voice throughout the film is truly you know one of the greats mm. i think it's a great shame that daniela vega was nominated uh for this performance because it's really impressive and sometimes we've had in the past actors been nominated for playing transgender characters yeah. who are really very much doing that kind of put on big acting kind of thing and here you have someone who is possibly living through some of the emotional um turmoil that this character experiences although it's very much not her story um she's been very clear about this in her um interviews uh, it is very personal yeah. in, in many ways isn't it yeah and that, the, the I mean, journey of how she came to be involved in the film is exactly. really interesting as yeah, well yeah this came up at the uh, the writers Q&A that we both went to and you've you've written a little bit a fantastic piece for the UCL film blog and i wonder do you could tell us about that context of how this film came to be and daniela vega's involvement in it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was surprised to hear both from the screenwriter and later the director that actually the film wasn't going to be about a transgender woman at all. Um so they started w- playing with this idea about a woman losing her her partner and then I think it was Sebastian Lelio who thought maybe there's something more we can tell. Maybe there's something really moving about a transgender woman being in that position and sort of being suspected or accused of having done something wrong further down the line they kind of thought if we're considering doing it with a transgender woman in the lead maybe we 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 should go and meet some transgender women in Santiago and everyone was basically just telling them you should meet, meet Daniela and she has an amazing voice amazing sort of acting experience and they kind of got to meet her and talk to her and that's when they knew that actually 
her contribution as a consultant to the project would be very valuable. And then they realized we need her in the lead role. Yeah, it's a really lovely story. And I think she's obviously proven her talent in her own country. And the fact that we're able to see it around the world now, she's getting that recognition, maybe not as much recognition as we all would like to see. Mm. But the fact that this film is going around the world, that people are going to be kind of caught up in her because she, she's completely hypnotic in it and she's got so much charisma because there are these little moments where you get a sense of her stage presence which we will delve into a bit later into the yeah. show but she's just magnetic throughout there's also as a kind of wider cultural point that i think is is important to talk about she will be the first uh, transgender woman to present an oscar mm. on uh, come oscar ceremony yes. uh, and um, this is quite amazing it's also the first time a transgender man has ever been nominated. Um, so Jans Ford is nominated for Best uh, Documentary, I think, for Strong Island, which is a really interesting oh, right. yeah. film currently on Netflix. Uh, it's not a documentary about transgender issues really at all, but um, it's a very personal story about her brother who was murdered by a white either policeman or just a white man, and it's very much about race in America. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, while the Oscars are a really huge piece of fluff and glitter um (laughs) these are cultural milestones which are significant and important to acknowledge there's Mm, been also a lot of uh, a lot of films in which the representation of transgender characters has indeed featured uh transgender performers and actors i can think of tangerine recently which was a really great one um and of course the work of pedro almodovar is is significant to be mentioned here he cast uh, antonia sanguan uh in all about my mother. She's a transgender actor. She plays a transgender role there. But I feel like I've always watched transgender performers play sex workers or yes. kind of smaller parts. Mm-hmm. Um, or I've, I've watched transgender actors work in stories about transition. And to me, this film really tries to do something else mm. and kind of removes a lot of those barriers and kind of really works to not just normalize things, but to show what a depth and richness of stories there are out there. Mm. So we will pass over now to Sebastian Lelio, the director of the film, who recently sat down with our regular host, Sam Howlett, to talk about the film in a bit more detail. Uh, delighted to welcome Sebastian Lelio to the Curzon podcast. Thank Hello. You. Hi. So we're here to talk about the, uh, the Oscar-nominated uh, Fantastic Woman. Uh, first of all, congratulations on Thank the nomination. Thank you. Thanks so much. Where were you when you found out that you'd been nominated? I was in Chile um, in, at my, in my producers. I was with my producers. It was like 10.30 a.m. We were drinking coffee and very nervous. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then suddenly that day became a great day. Yeah. <laughs> Did you watch the nominations live? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. great. Excellent. That's what we were doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sure. Okay, great. Uh, and will you be going to the Oscars? Oh, of course, yeah. We'll be there. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Uh, so let's go back a bit then. Um, could you tell us a bit about you know, where this story came from and how your journey with this film began? Well, at the beginning, we were playing around with the question, you know, what would happen if... Uh, the person you love dies in your arms and that's the worst place for for that person to die because you are the unwanted yeah and and then due to the script writing work the idea of this story happening to a transgender woman appeared right and and that was like a 
uh, a milestone yeah. <laughs> in the process. And it sounded moving, uh, exciting, dangerous. And then, um, and then um, I felt the need to meet some transgender woman. I uh, I live in Berlin, right. so I was a bit detached of what was happening in in Santiago, my city. So we met two or three, um, not looking for for an actress yet, yeah. but, but only looking for. I was trying to understand if I wanted to make the film right. back then. And then we met Daniela Vega, who is the actress. Yeah. Ended up being the main actress and uh she agreed to become like a consultant mm -hmm. and uh so she was like a friend of the project during a year right. and she was sharing with us what being a transgender woman in chile uh, meant and um and then i realized that i wanted to make the film that i was not going to make it without a transgender actress and later on that i wanted her Yeah. To be Marina, to right. be the main character. Okay. So that's how it happened. Yeah. It was very, very organic. Yeah. Have you ever had a script um, change that dramatically before, like completely? Um, yes, but in a different way. I okay. think in this case, it was more dramatic because um, after Daniela accepted to to play the main role, I knew that uh, she was going to bring something that was going to add a dimension to the film that was going to make it very uh, unique. Yeah. You know, because um, because the film plays with different genres and tonalities. Yeah. And it's very, it's like fiction, fiction. Right. You okay. know, it's like, it's like, it's not biographical. It's not, it's not necessarily realism. It's kind of like something... Uh, different than that and it's a thriller that 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 starts like a romantic film mm. that becomes then a ghost story that is a funeral film and then it's a character study and and you know and has moments of fantasy yeah uh, so so i think that that um somehow um comes from um, my relationship with daniela You know, okay. because I was trying to make a, f a film that was as complex as its main subject of study. Yeah. Was there any sort of trepidation from your part about um, you know, writing a film as a cisgender man from the perspective of a, of a transgender woman? I mean, I think that that distance yeah. uh, is precisely what made everything more exciting to me. Because... Okay. Because I am not an expert, yeah, I, it, it's not my world. So, right. so it was a great opportunity to, you know, to learn, yeah, to get rid of my my ignorance, to to expand my understanding of uh, what identity can be, or to think about the subjects. You know, like uh, what are are there illegitimate people? Yeah, or can a love like that be illegitimate yeah sure you know so so in a certain way you make a film to 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 arrive to a new place as a person yeah okay. and in that sense you know not being part of the community yeah is precisely what allows um what what i just said to happen yeah okay
And so you said you use Daniela as this kind of, you know, point of uh, as an advisor on this yeah. film. Um, what other research methods did you use? Because there are moments in the film, like when Daniela goes to the police station, that seem very, very real and very specific to a transgender person. Did that stuff like that, the inst- sort of the institutional way she's treated did that come from Daniela or were there other avenues you explored no I mean uh, the film is not um, biographical in any way yeah. I mean there's no scene that is coming from an experience that Daniela has yeah had um, but um, it's just kind of like a general feeling um, that she um i don't know transmitted to the to the to the script all these microaggressions and all these ways in which the character is treated i think all of that is coming out of our conversations you know yeah. of what you know being a transgender woman um has meant for daniela in chile but then everything is fictional and yeah. and of course the the institutional yeah. procedments we we did research how they work yeah and um and we apply that to this situation yeah so everything that happens um could happen yeah sure like that yeah okay um so it's it's been nearly a year since you were, since you played at berlin so it's been a lot of time for loads of people to see the film. Can you tell us a bit about the reaction from the transgender community that mm. you've had from the film? Well, I have the impression that um, that they have valued immensely the fact that um, the main character is interpreted by a transgender actress. Yeah, I think that's that changed changed the the whole game, so sure. to say. Um, and um, I, I cannot speak for them, but that's my feeling after showing it in so many countries and to so right. many people. I We have felt a lot of, um, you know, gratefulness and appreciation and and uh, and not only, and that's the beauty of it, not only coming from the, I don't know, LGBT community, but from yeah. from different kinds of, of uh, spectators. Okay. So it's been a, a nice journey. Yeah. Um, so then looking back over some of the films you've made recently, I mean, Gloria, a Fantastic Woman, and then a Disobedience, which comes out here later in the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all films focused on uh, female protagonists in, in situations that we don't always see mm. on screen. Mm. Um, I mean, some people can see this as a kind of sort of unofficial trilogy for you. I mean, whether yeah, consciously or unconsciously. Unconsciously. Yeah. Completely unconsciously. <laughs> Could you talk a bit about then why it is these kinds of characters that you focus on and what interests you about them? Well, the thing is that it's funny because you can you connect the dots only when you look backwards. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I've been following, I have been blindly following my intuitions. <laughs> and what moves me and there's something, there has been something about each of these stories that has been really, really touching to yeah. me. Like exciting and touching. And um, when I stumble with something like that, I just go for it, you know? Yeah. And then I intellectualize. But first of all, it's like, I don't know, it's like those people that are looking for water with wooden sticks. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, sometimes they stop and they say, here, you have to dig here because there's something here. It's, It's kind of like the same feeling. Like with Gloria, 
you know, the story about an older woman that yeah. is, claims her right to keep being alive with a fantastic woman, you know, um, you know, uh, dedicating a film to a character that should not deserve one, so to say. Yeah. And then um, in disobedience as well, you know, serving this, this these two women that are somehow in their own way on the fringes of uh, yeah. society. In the three cases, the, the 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 driven force has been very similar. It's pure excitement and 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 and, and attaching, moving element. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to to intellectualize it. I mean, I can do it, but I feel like I'm <laughs> putting words into something that is more of a, of an intuition. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um. I know from from speaking to other people that have seen Fantastic Woman, one of the scenes that is, seems to me to be the most talked about is is the dance sequence. Oh yeah. And um, you mentioned earlier actually to me that um, the film kind of goes across different genres, mm. um, and that's very much this kind of you know it was a musical, a music video. Yeah. Can you talk about where that idea came from and um, the process of filming that because it's so different from the rest of the film? Yeah. Well, um, at some point, you know, this idea of doing a trans genre film about mm. a transgender yeah. character uh, appeared and that was uh, a super important moment in the process yeah. because it was like oh so this device which is the film can contain yeah. so many tonalities and so many um, it can flirt with different uh, traditions yeah. you know so again, identity in flux, you know. Sure, yeah. And um, and I don't know. I remember feeling that the the nightclub sequence needed some something more, and then I connected that to Babsy Berkeley's sure, films, yeah. and I was like, maybe we could, you know, really gamble everything and see if we can suddenly being inside her head yeah, yeah. And, uh, and 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 present so to say the best version of of the character even though yeah. it's not really happening sure yeah you know so it was um it was great fun to do it and i'm very surprised to to witness how uh, how much people like that yeah. sequence yeah yeah sure it's incredible um so, so it, after disobedience, then your next project is a—is this right? A U.S. remake of Gloria. Yeah, and um, I did that already. You've I, done it already. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, um, I shot it. Yeah, I was curious about whether this was—it it came from you. Is your idea to remake Gloria, or were you approached by by someone else? Uh, it's a combination. Combination. Okay. <laughs> it's a combination. Because yeah. um, you know, you're not the first director to remake your own film. Of course, it's happening. Hitchcock did it, and um, yeah, I know. Hanneke's done it, but I've always yeah. wondered if it's, there's a feeling of. Uh, you know, either I can do better. There's, is that, there's that feeling of I've done this, but I know I can make it better. Or, or is there more something like if this is going to be remade, I want to make sure I'm the one <laughs> I to do, do it. it. Yeah. Was it's, it either of those things? No, it's, it, it, it was more, okay, a great admiration for Julian Moore, first of yeah. all. And then the feeling of um, um, mm, there might be a way to find a new vehicle for the, whatever is universal in yeah. this story. And then the luxury of uh, 
having the opportunity to revisit your own materials and give them a new life. Yeah. You know? Okay. So I take it like like a Goldberg, Goldberg variation. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Sebastian Lilio, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And we're back. So uh, thanks to Sebastian for joining us on the show there. We left the conversation briefly talking a bit about Oscars and that kind of thing. Irene, you said that this can be a bit of fluff and glitter. A film like this is the kind of film that we love to see nominated and really I want to see win because it's giving it the chance to find an audience. Absolutely. And that's what these awards should be. Yeah. And maybe not like, maybe there are some other awards that might have happened fairly recently in Britain that may be awarding films that don't need publicity and they should be awarding films that do. And this is the kind of platform that a fantastic woman could really gain from. I completely agree, yeah. You know, having said that, it is up against some tough competition with Loveless and maybe The Square, although I do hear it is, you know, um, at the top of people's lists, so, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. I think even a nomination, though, is 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 great and mm. it's already giving it the attention it deserves yeah all right um so let's get a bit more stuck into the film now and so it begins we only we have maybe the opening five to ten minutes is the only section of the film that we don't really see from her point of view this is taken from orlando and i think that's gonna i know for me because i at this was a festival screening i didn't read too much into it so that was a lovely little switch for me as to where I thought the film was going to be going. As you know I'm obsessed with opening scenes in films <laughs> I always think that just you know the first thing that you're presented with is the most significant thing to set the tone and <clears throat> here we're presented with the image of a waterfall uh, there's a lot of water and steam and kind of mm. vapors mm. and you don't quite know where you are and then the, the titles appear in this beautiful mm. uh, sort of very subtle kind of quite ethereal way and the yes. title says a fantastic woman and the first thing we look at after that is the body of a man yes so there's an interesting clash there i wanted to talk about these waterfalls in quite some detail uh, did you recognize where these waterfalls are or what they are in the first few minutes of the film they they were a complete enigma to me, as is Marina for mm. pretty much the entire film. But it, it's only later on when the suspense sort of builds up around these falls that you find out that Orlando has this sort of getaway trip planned for Marina's birthday and he was actually meant to give her, um, well, he got them tickets to the Iwasu Falls mm. and that kind of, makes you go, oh, that's what they were, yeah. okay. 
Yeah. So the the falls become this kind of really symbolic thing because mm. the trip never happens. Yes. Um, Orlando has booked his tickets, uh, but on the day of the birthday, we find out that he has completely lost them. He doesn't know where they are. So he gives Marina a card that says, this is valid for a trip. I actually bought the tickets. I'm sorry. I've completely forgotten. I, I can't find them, but I will. And we'll go there in 10 days time. And of course he dies. So the trip never happens. Uh, it's kind of this promised land or this place that's going to happen, which reminds me rather of um, Happy Hanukkah. Together. Oh, no. oh right. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Um, so if anyone familiar with Happy Together, which is one of Wong Kar-wai's great, great films, which is a love story between two men uh, who are from Hong Kong and living in Argentina. The reason why the guys are in Argentina is that they own a lampshade, which has an image of the Iguazu waterfalls on it. Uh. And their big thing throughout the film is that they want to go and visit the waterfalls. Um, there is always in Walker Wai films uh, this idea that there are these magical places in the world where you can kind of take your sorrows or take your undisclosed love or take your desires, speak them out into nature or into a secret place and they will be kept there and you'll be guarded and something will happen. You know, something extremely transformative will happen to you. You'll be liberated or it will come, through, come true. And in Happy Together, they keep trying and trying and trying to go to these waterfalls. The film opens with them driving there they have this massive row and they end up not going and of course their relationship is incredibly complicated it's very loving but also abusive uh it becomes very difficult and this image of the waterfalls that they never get to continues to appear throughout the film uh and by the end there is some resolution in terms of where the main character ends up so for me you know just watching these waterfalls and then thinking oh are we where are we you know i was thinking it's obviously latin america is it the same waterfalls and so yeah. suddenly for me the film was really in conversation with wonka Wai from the very beginning but i'm fascinated to hear your hanukkah uh <laughs> reference right i guess mine is a little bit less direct than that i think what made me think of hanukkah in the film was that um scene in the car wash uh, oh, this yes. really claustrophobic scene where Marina is just alone and she she sees Orlando's ghost. You know, it's one of the many times she does. But that sort of scene was just screaming the seventh continent to me because I'd only recently watched the seventh continent. And this is where the, the viewer becomes part of, you know, the experience, right? You fill in the story with your own gaps. You You see things that, you know, other people might not. But uh, the sort of connection is also to that beach, uh, that Australian beach in the seventh continent, which is their promised land. So this family's promise for something better. So a, a getaway trip, if you like, mm -hmm. from reality. And I don't like, you know that thing where you hear a word for the first time and then you suddenly start hearing it everywhere. Yeah, it's called the bad mind off effect. Yes. So <laughs> I've been having that with kind of queer stories and bodies of water. And I I don't know whether it's because we talked about this yeah. with Call Me By Your Name, and I recently yeah. watched um, Beach Rats as well. And interesting like, point. Yeah, yeah, there's a number of things that have yeah. keep cropping up, um, and even like waterfalls in particular. Going back to yeah. Call Me By Your Name, which is in fact a dam and not a waterfall. Mm. But um, it's, I'm having that bane of mine on effect, <laughs> but with exactly this. It's but, a symbol of fluidity, isn't mm, it? So yes. I guess the the film is very much about you know gender fluidity, but also as you mentioned genre fluidity mm. and I think that was 
one of the things that Lelio was very interested to explore after after deciding that, you know, the lead character would be a transgender woman. So he deliberately tried to give the film a diverse range of feelings throughout. So you've got the romantic side of it. You've got, you know, a little bit of a, a thriller, a mystery, a character study. An um, MGM musical. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and also fantasy. And you don't expect to see all these things together necessarily, but... It's just there, you know, the the light, the neon lights. It, it's such a, I don't know, to me it f felt very Lynchian um, as I was watching it. And it, it all seems to be sort of part of a dream a lot of the time. Yeah, um, well, you you spoke about a, there's a ghost, which we kind of dropped into the, mm. this. <laughs> way. I, I'm, all the while we've been talking about this is a kind of social commentary realist film and they say oh and there's a ghost um, <laughs> of course there is uh, but that's what the film does it yeah. drops in these b little magical realism moments and it's weird because i you kind of see these promo photos of the film where you that looks like a dance scene and then you get dropped into the film and you're thinking where is this gonna happen <laughs> um, but it does <laughs> but yeah they do and these little moments are really really wonderful and and you do have that ghost and you've got marina having to literally like battle against the wind to like an yes. almost comic effect yeah. and she is a singer and we see her at the start singing in the club it's quite a low-key smoky setting and it's very cool and very jazzy um and then it'll just she'll just drop into these fantastic choreographed cheerleader i mean this is something that it the Latin American culture really is spe a specialist in, you know, in capturing the, the kind of thin line between social realism and magic realism uh, in, in the sense that I think Latin American storytellers have a real fluidity in terms of how they see moments of great expressionism and moments of great political commentary, which is absolutely, by the way, throughout this film present. There's a lot of um, stuff about the police and how the police treat uh, transgender people, the rights of transgender people, uh, but also just this kind of society which has become incredibly bourgeois in a very rapid period of time. Something that we were discussing about Loveless, for mm. example. Um, Chile as a country has this very, very troubled history, lived under incredibly strict dictatorship under uh, Pinochet for a, a long time. And the after effects of a very militarized, very macho culture yeah. are still very present. And so the men in this film, with the exception of Orlando, are really... And Gabo, I think. And Gabo, yeah, although he's quite a quite an interesting character. I think there's a whole series of characters in the film who mean well, and yet... They're restricted by it. society's yes. overall sort of. It's, yeah, I think that's pressures. where the real struggle of the film happens. There's there's a few there's the policewoman who comes yes. in and yeah she, she means well as well. But she then, means well, but then carries out something yes, that is yes. incredibly invasive and yes. almost like a sort of violation of uh, Marina's body by Absolutely. forcing her to have yeah. an examination to check that there wasn't an act of violence perpetrated yeah. on her, mm. and at that point. Why doesn't she believe the yes. woman that is in front of her? She's yeah. saying, we were in a consensual relationship, we were happy, and the guy just died. Mm. Um, something that happens very early on in the film is when Orlando feels unwell, he collapses and falls down the stairs. As a result, his body has bruises on it. 
And the police take this immediately as a sign of a struggle. They don't believe the person who was with him. They naturally assume that she is a sex worker, mm. that she was paid to have sex with him, that she there must have been some violent clash and she pushed him down yeah. the stairs. They also continually address her as male. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so that's th- these kind of microaggressions that keep happening throughout the film are very much present and very much in the kind of social mm. commentary mm. that's that's I think interwoven in it. Mm. Coupled with these moments in which I think uh, the wind scene really is a great expressionist moment of the kind of aggression and fight that she has to still carry on. You know, she's probably lived through about 10 years of acceptance and a journey of fighting for her own identity. And that just continues to continue. Mm -hmm. It's not going to end. And that wind that kind of suddenly erupts makes it so visually um, present. Yes, absolutely. And it's kind of her idea of what's natural to her against, you know, what's conventionally seen as natural. So like the wind and these... Um, elements if you like uh, of nature there's this scene that I find very amusing I think the mise-en-scene in it is spectacular you just see Marina in her room alone and there's this poster behind her on the wall with his this high tide depicted and um, you can see her sort of giving an air punch as if she's struggling with something but there's nothing there so obviously it's kind of Again, like that wind sequence showing how she has to battle against what people consider to be nature. And, you know, and there's these little moments of heightened emotion because she so very rarely is given her own voice to against all these forces. When you do get those moments, it's so enriching. Like when Aretha Franklin's uh, Natural Woman plays, you initially think, oh, that's a bit on the nose isn't it but then you to- you're totally into it and you think this is totally I deserved I love that yeah. bit yeah, yeah it was amazing that, yeah. that starts in the car wash doesn't it she's, the song plays on the radio and then she goes into the cafe yeah. and it's yeah. playing I think it's when she's driving uh, to Orlando's ex-wife uh, to leave the car and uh, she sees yeah the ghost I mean we mentioned mm. it but we haven't talked about it the ghost appears repeatedly mm. as this kind of you know lost yes. entity yes. and there's something so interesting about what's going on in the representation of bodies in this film Mm. and we can talk about Marina's body um, but also Orlando's body is a great concern he dies his body's bruised so there's this investigation this mystery pending only seen as a mystery from the point of view of the authorities because Mm. we've seen what happened Mm. so we completely believe the story and we know that's that's true Um, and then his body is completely removed from Marina she's not allowed to go to the wake she's not allowed to go to the funeral um, she's not recognized as a, a member of his close family and uh, she keeps seeing him here and there and then eventually it's when she actually gets to see the corpse yeah. which is an incredibly moving scene and she watches this this body be sort of taken into the the area where it's going to be cremated mm. um, and disposed of and it sort of made me think about how much the transition story is so much about the body and how, you know, your our bodies reflect who we are inside. And yet, in the end, the body is just this it kind of yeah. container <laughs> that gets disposed of. Mm. And what happens to the soul is the real question. Mm. So I found that a really beautiful moment because I think she gets so much strength from actually seeing the conclusion of her lover's body's life. And she knows that she can take the rest of him with her. 
she mm. doesn't have to continue to fight for this mm. um so that was incredible it's always interesting that uh, orlando seems to appear at these key moments in the film so as you said he's kind of the one his ghost rather is the one who leads marina to his body uh, but also it's when orlando appears at this moment when marina is in the car that she sort of takes off her glasses where we see orlando's reflection beautifully mm. and um, she sort of notices there's a key inside orlando's car and that key sort of becomes a driving force if you like for the rest of the film and it's as lelio describes it it's a macguffin so it's it's this thing that gives the character a purpose throughout the film but you don't really know where it's going to go and what it's going to lead to until much later where it leads us yeah <laughs> is an empty locker yeah so i, I think <laughs> i absolutely <laughs> i think once i saw that sequence in the finlandia sauna I, i was just that's when i knew i loved that film it it was the moment i, I fell in love with it like you see this series of coincidences giving her clues as to what the key might unlock and there's this man at the restaurant where she works uh that has a key just like hers and she realizes oh it's the sauna and you know you have this moment as the viewer where you're thinking oh my god she's going to find the tickets but do i want that to happen is that you mm. know the the ending that this film deserves Well, you mentioned Hitchcock as an influence on yes. that, like this sequence of finding the keys and trying to unlock it and figuring out the mystery. It reads so much Absolutely. like that. Absolutely, yes. It's sort of interesting how once she's in the sauna, there's this again th this sort of climate of oh, you know, is she what, like where do we see her? Is she supposed to be in the women's section? Is she supposed to be in the man's section? And we see her sort of transitioning from one to the other so that she can get get to you know the gents and sort of have access to Orlando's locker and that's a really interesting sequence for me like the light just gives it a, this this magical feeling of you know this is straight out of a dream and then she opens the locker and it's really interesting because there's there's no reflection for her to see there as opposed to many other instances in the film but it it's that moment that's really defining for her she sort of stares at this void this empty locker this this black rectangle on the screen for us which lelio um actually says is his personal homage to kubrick and the space odyssey so it's like the monolith to him wow. which again sort of just you know drives the character forward like it's it's mm. pulling them in Yeah. It's it's very Mulholland Drive at moments as well. Absolutely. In, uh, uh, yeah. in Mulholland Drive when they open yes. the locker and yeah. the viewer is sucked yeah. into the, this the void. Yeah. Yes. And somehow then you're back at mm. some other mm. point in the story. Yeah, I also love that scene. I I thought it was in direct com contrast with uh the scene in which she received this um totally invasive and horrifying um 
physical inspection mm. where she is not made to be in control of her body and she's asked a lot of questions and throughout the film there are all these questions that come in did you have the operation did you do this did you do that and did you have sex and how did it work your relationship and <clears throat> these questions are the most offensive thing that you can possibly think of because they just reduce a person entirely to their body and her body just becomes a side for everyone else's anxiety. What are you? Um, the ex-wife says, when I look at you, I don't know what I'm seeing. Mm. You are, to me, a chimera. A perversion. Uh, a perversion. But the word chimera is really interesting. A chimera is a mythological creature mm -hmm. who is a hybrid monster made from parts of other different creatures. So the the offense is extraordinary but mm. so is the anxiety of the character who is saying this um whereas throughout the film i think it's very very clear to us who we're looking at yeah. not what mm. we are looking at a person who has a very deep um inner life who has had probably a very intense journey to where she is and we are completely with her and i think that is the miracle of this film so when we get to that point in the sauna where the situation could be as humiliating. She asks, uh, is it separate? Uh, meaning, is there a section for men and a section for women? And she's told, yes. And it's at this point that she thinks, I can completely use this to my advantage. Mm. And I am the only person who can do this. And so there's, there's just this kind of um, moment of owning yes. herself mm. and her body. And I think it's, it's here that she yeah. really overcomes everything. And you think this woman can just tackle anything that comes our way so it's very very empowering and i i loved it i was kind of whooping in my seat and i was i was hoping that she would find the tickets and then there's a film going i thought no this is so much better because then what we get after that is even better yeah. than yes. a trip to the iguazu falls yes yeah she she sort of after that dream sequence she she jumps back into reality you know like there 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 isn't any hope for her in the sense that she's not going to escape reality so she might as well face it and that's what she does she th that's when she decides i don't care if they say i'm not allowed to the funeral i'm going it's my right and orlando was the person i loved so she goes there and it's then that orlando's ghost sort of mm -hmm. guides her to his body and just before that actually you see this uh scene which i think is the possibly the only uh, Almodovar-like scene in the film where she jumps on top of Orlando's ex-wife's car. Um, <laughs> and and it's just a, a really funny but also very, yeah, just strong scene. She, she, she's basically standing her ground and mm. she stand on, stands on top of the car as if she's rising above both the man and the woman in that car and she's just who she is. She wants her dog back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I want to talk about the final scene, singing, uh, which is a theme throughout the film. She's mm. a singer. She performs a number of times. And um, we also see her going to a singing teacher yes. who is clearly someone who's been around for a long time. Another caring, interesting person. Yeah. Very interesting yeah. person. He, he's actually very compassionate, I mm, think, and mm. very loving. And he says to her, you're here to be a singer. You're here to get singing lessons. You're not, I'm not here to be your dad <laughs> or your psychologist. And she kind of puts these words in his mouth as though she's heard it before. And I'm sure that she's, as anybody who uses kind of art to 
you know, in an almost psychological way to help yourself through mm. the difficulties of life. Uh, she's probably had these kind of pep talks from him before, and she's kind of making fun of him. But he's right. He just sees her as this singer. Mm. He says, come here, you're here to sing. I'll train you to sing. And sing she does. And beautifully at beautifully. the end, yeah. she sings this um, aria from Handel, I think Handel, it is. Yeah. Uh, which is an aria written specifically for a castrato. So the castrato in, in opera is, is the role played by a man uh, whose testicles have been removed at a young age um, to, in order to develop a much higher tone voice. And the castratos were considered to be the finest singers around throughout the Baroque period, certainly, when Handel was, was writing. Um, so it, it's really, you know, the film is really saying we need to look at transgender people in a completely different way and value their experiences and value what they can bring that is not either man or woman. It's something else entirely and it transcends gender. our puny categories and sort of somehow it's kind of two fingers up to everyone in the film who has asked her what are you what happened to your body mm. and, and we see marina asking this as well don't we a lot of the time i feel like you can argue it's, a, it's only a visual thing but the convention of using mirrors in a film is just so it's such a well-established thing that you're clearly making a statement when you do it and and when you do it repeatedly, like Lelio does, it's just, you know, so in your face. So you see Marina staring at a mirror right after she finds out Orlando's dead. Um, she walks down the street and you see her reflections on the glass window of a building. Um, but I think the three the three sort of places I, I really loved the use of mirrors was, well, for one thing, when she's sort of at this beauty parlor and she's doing her nails and she goes, oh, my God, look at my hands. Like, these are orangutan fingers or something. And the sort of staff member there tells her, don't say that. That's a lie. Don't talk about yourself that way. And then she walks out in the street and there are these workers carrying a mirror. And it's all wobbly and it's not mm. sturdy at all. And you're thinking, why would that scene be there if, you know, the use of mirrors is not intentional? Mm. And you you sort of see other people putting a mirror in front of her and seeing, saying, you know, what we sort of see in ourselves is a lot of the time what others make us see. And another instance of the use of mirrors that's in contrast to this is when she's completely alone and she's kind of just holding this small mirror right in front of her genitalia. And we don't know what's down there because we we haven't been told anything explicitly even after the inspection scene. Um, but she's alone, and that's a key moment for her. She's just looking down there. She sees her reflection. We don't know what's there, but it's, it's, it's only her that can define yeah. what she is, what her sexual identity is, what her identity overall is. She sees her face in yeah, the mirror. Yeah. Mm, so it's, it's an incredible shot. Though. This this is it. This Beautiful. is absolutely... You almost want to just pause it and stand up and applaud for this <laughs> moment because it is such a simple but astonishing image and yes. you wonder, how have you never seen something like this yes. before? Like these, these reflections are something that you highlight in the blog piece that you've written so yeah. i encourage everyone to check that out for a bit more information on that it would be on the cousin blog soon as well so yeah. in an expanded version yeah. <laughs> so you can read it there um 
I wanted to talk briefly about another reflection moment, which is just after we have the most sort of explicit attack on Marina, which is she gets abducted basically by um, Orlando's violent, awful, vile son and um, other members of the family. And they um, they wrap her face with sellotape. Mm. And she's it's yes. I found that just so incredibly awful i was so worried about her throughout that mm. scene because it can get to such horrible places mm. and um they they just completely deface her with a sellotape transparent sellotape on her face and then they leave her i think and that she, was one of the most shocking moments yeah, yeah for me it, when it was really was and it's i'm i mean i'm sure any film goer watches things that are much more explicitly violent, much more, you know, gory. But the aggression of this and the violation is yes. so incredibly yes. awful. And, and she, the intention they have. Yeah. yeah. Makes me think of, as you said, about the wobbly mirror. Yes. Like highlighting yeah. this distorted reflection yes. back yes. to her. As you say, it's the transparent sellotape. So underneath it all, we can still see that it's her mm. face. Yeah. And mm. it's how these other people have chosen to distort it to reflect their view of her. But Was also very beautifully, she, she, she gets ditched in this alleyway and there's a parked vehicle there and she sort of stands beside it and she she's taking the sellotape off and we see this reflection of, you know, a, a disfigured Marina and... It's it's essentially the monster that these mm. people see in her, and it's such a beautiful shot because, you know, she she probably questions herself at that point: Am I this monster that others see in me? And do you know what that reminded me of very very strongly was a moment in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, in which the creature, who is this you know, human generated person who has consciousness and has depth and has a richness and a desire for knowledge and a desire to develop feelings but gets completely abandoned and is looked at by society as this creature composed of bodily parts that came from other creatures so a chimera as we've mm-hmm. heard and he looks at himself in, there's a reflection uh, on the water and he sees his face and he understands why people run away from him but then at that point there is this kind of complete moment of consciousness of thinking yes you know who am i yes. what do people see when they look at me and how can i become mm. uh, what i am what i am yeah. so it, it's really another moment in which this line between you know how people see her and how eventually she will see herself yes. and will continue to to fight for herself and her identity is completely encapsulated by the visuals mm. And on that note, we are going to have to wrap up this conversation. Sadly. I dare say it's been fantastic. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here, Diego. And thank, thank you, Irina, for coming back to us again. Now, this is not the uh, the only film out this week, A Fantastic Women. If you can't make it to the cinema, actually, you can watch it online uh, or on demand with Curzon Home Cinema, where it is available. Uh, and from Monday, from the 5th, you can also catch Yorgos Lanthimos's Killing of a Sacred Deer uh, and Sean Baker's The Florida Project, uh, who we talked about. And he was the director of Tangerine, which I think is on the service as well. So uh, do go and check those out from Monday. If you do have any thoughts on A Fantastic Woman, then do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com. 
And if you are new to the podcast, do go back and listen to our back catalogue. We've got loads of great episodes. Uh, we've got a recent Q&A with uh, all the team from Call Me By Your Name uh, with uh, Luca Guadagnino. And I got it. Yes. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet. That's a really great uh, Q&A. It's hosted by Robbie Collin. So do go back and listen to that as well as the recent episode with Greta Gerwig for Ladybird. And uh, until next time, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and comment on iTunes. And uh, we'll see you next time. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Diego. Goodbye. And it's goodbye. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) It's been a pleasure having you. And it's goodbye from Arena. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.